Chapter Twenty One of We of the Never Never. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by K Hand. We of the Never Never by Jeanie Gunn. Chapter Twenty One. Just before midday, five days after we had left the homestead, we rode through the southern slip rails to find the dandy at work cleaning out a soakage on the brink of the billabong, with Cheon enthusiastically encouraging him. The billabong we heard had threatened to peter out in our absence, and riding across the now dusty, wind-swept enclosure, we realized that November was with us, and that the dry was preparing for its final fling, just showing what it could do when it tried. With the southeast trades to back it up, it was fighting desperately against the steadily advancing northwest monsoon drying up as it fought every drop of moisture left from the last wet there was not a blade of green grass within sight of the homestead and everywhere dust whirled and eddied and danced hurled always at once in the fight or gathered itself into towering centrifugal columns to speed hither and thither obedient to the will of the elements half the heavens seemed part of the dry and half part of the wet dusty blue to the southeast and dark banks of clouds to the northwest with a fierce sun beating at the zenith already the air was oppressive with electric disturbances and dan fearing he would not get finished unless things were kept humming went out bush next morning and the homestead became once more the hub of our universe the southeast being branded from that centre every few days a mob was brought in and branded and disbanded hours were spent on the stockyard fence pack teams were packed unpacked and repacked and every day grew hotter and hotter and every night more and more electric and as the days went by we waited for the fizzer hungry for mail matter with a six weeks hunger when the fizzer came in, he came with his usual lusty shouting, but varied his greeting and to a triumphant, broken the record this time misses, two bags as big as a house and a few etceteras, and presently he staggered towards us, bent with the weight of a mighty mail. But a fizzer without news would not have been our fizzer, and as he staggered along we learned that Mac was coming out to clear the run of Brumbies. Be along in no time now, the fizzer shouted, falling clean out with bullock punching. Wouldn't put his worst enemy to it. Going to tackle something that'll take a bit of jumping around. Then the mailbags and the etceteras came down in successive thuds, and no one was better pleased with its detail than our fizzer. Fifty letters, sixty-nine papers, dozens of books and magazines, and parcels of garden cuttings. Last you for the rest of the year by the look of it, the fizzer declared later, finding us at the house walled in with a litter of mail matter. Then he explained his interruption. I'm going straight on at once, he said, for me horses are none too good as it is, and the lads say there's a bit of good grass at the nine-mile. And going out, we watched him set off. So long, he shouted, as cheerily as ever, as he gathered his team together. Half past eleven, four weeks. But already the fizzer's shoulders were setting square, for the last trip of the dry was before him, the trip that perished the last mailman, and his horses were none too good. Good luck, we called after him, early showers, and there was a note in our voices brought there by the thought of that gaunt figure at the well, rattling its dice-box as it waited one more round with our fizzer, a note that brought a bright look into the fizzer's face as with an answering shout of farewell he rode on into the forest. And watching the sturdy figure, and knowing the luck of our fizzer, that luck that had given him his fearless judgment and steadfast courageous spirit, we felt his cheery half-past eleven four weeks must be prophetic, in spite of those long, dry stages, with their beating heat and parching dust eddies, stages eked out now and at each end with other stages of bad going. Half past eleven, four weeks, the fizzer had said, and as we returned to our mail matter, knowing what it meant to our fizzer, we looked anxiously to the northwest and hoped the showers would come before the return trip of the downs. In addition to the fifty letters for the house, the fizzer had left two others at the homestead to be called for, one being addressed to Victoria Downs, over two hundred miles to our west, and the other to F. Brown, Esquire, in charge of stud bulls going west via northern territory. 
the uninitiated may think that the first was sent out by mistake and that the second was too vaguely addressed but both letters went into the rack to await delivery for our faith in the wisdom of our postal department was great it makes no mistakes and to it in a land where everybody knows everybody else and all his business and where it has taken him an address could never be too vague the bush folk loved to say that when it opened out its swag in the territory it found red tape had been forgotten but having a surplus supply of common sense on hand it decided to use that in its place and so it would seem down south envelopes are laboriously addressed with the names of stations and vias here and vias there and throughout the territory men move hither and thither by compulsion or free will giving never a thought to an address while the department knowing the ways of its people delivers its letter in spite of not because of these addresses it reads only the name of the man that heads the address of his letters and sends the letters to where that man happens to be provided it has been clearly stated which jones is meant the department will see to the rest although it is wise to add northern territory for the guidance of post offices down south jones travelling with cattle for wave will reads the department and that gossiping friendly wire reporting jones as just leaving the powell the letter lies in the fizzer's loose bag until he runs into jones's mob or a mail coming in for jones victoria river when this jones is on the point of sailing for a trip south his mail is delivered on shipboard and as the department goes on with its work letters for east go west and for west go south in mail bags loose bags travellers pockets or per black boy each one direct to the bush folk as a migrating bird to its destination but painstaking as our department is with our mail matter it excels itself in its handling of telegrams southern red tape has decreed no doubt wisely as far as it goes that telegrams shall travel by official persons only but out bush official persons are few and apt to be on duty elsewhere when important telegrams arrive and it is then that our department draws largely on that surplus supply of common sense always deferential to the south it obediently pigeonholes the telegram to await some official person then knowing that a delay of weeks will probably convert it into so much waste paper it writes a duplicate and goes outside to send it bush by the first traveller it can find if no traveller is at hand the line is called up and asked if any one is going in the desired direction from elsewhere if so the duplicate is repeated down the line but if not a traveller is created in the person of a black boy by means of a bribing stick of tobacco no extra charge of course nothing is an extra in the territory nothing to do with the department says the chief merely the personal courtesy of our officers may it be many a long day before the forgotten shipment of red tape finds its way to the territory to strangle the courtesy of our officers nothing finds itself outside this courtesy the fizzer brings in great piles of mail matter unweighed and unstamped with many of the envelopes bursting or at times in place of an envelope a request for one and our officers getting to work with their courtesy soon put all in order not disdaining even the licking of stamps or the patching or renewing of envelopes letters and packets are weighed stamped and repaired often readdressed where addresses for south are blurred stamps are supplied for outgoing mail matter and telegrams postage dues and duties paid on all incoming letters and parcels in fact nothing is left for us to do but to pay expenses incurred when the account is rendered at the end of each six months no doubt our department would also read and write our letters for us if we wished it as it does at times for the untutored wherever it can it helps the bush folk and they in turn doing what they can to help it in self-imposed task are ever ready to find room somewhere in pack bags or swags for mail matter in need of transport assistance the general opinion being that a man that refuses to carry a man's mail to him would be mean enough to steal bread out of a birdcage in all the knowledge of the bush folk only one man had proved mean enough a man who shall be known as the outsider for he was one of a type who could never be one of the bush folk even though he lived out bush for generations a man so walled in with self and selfishness that look where he could he could see nothing grander or better than his own miserable self and knowing all a male means to a bushman he could refuse to carry a neighbor's mail 
even though his road lay through that neighbor's run, because he had had a difference with him. Stealing bread from a caged bird wasn't in it, the homestead agreed, with unspeakable scorn, but the man was so reconciled to himself that the scorn passed over him unnoticed. He even missed the contempt in the Maluka's cutting perfectly when he hoped we understood him. The outsider, by the way, spoke of the never-never as a land when you can never-never gel a bally thing you want, the outsider wants being of the flesh-pots of Egypt. It goes without saying that the Maluka sent that neighbor's mail to him without delay, even though it meant a four days' journey for a boy and station horses, for the bush folk do what they can to help each other and the department in the matter of mails, as in all else. Fortunately, the outsider always remained the only exception, and within a day or two of the Fizzer's visit, a traveller passed through going east who happened to know that the chap from Victoria Downs was just about due at Hogson going back west, and one letter went forward in his pocket en route to its owner but before the other could be claimed cheon had opened the last eighty-pound chest of tea and the homestead fearing the supply might not be equal to the demands of the wet the dandy was dispatched in all haste for an extra loading of stores and all through his absence as before it and before the fizzer's visit dan and the elements kept things humming daily soakage yielded less and less water and daily billy muck and cheon scrimmaged over its yield for billy's melons were promising to pay a liberal dividend and cheon's garden was crying aloud for water every day was filled with flies and dust and prickly heat and daily and hourly our hands waved unceasingly as they beat back the multitude of flies that daily and hourly assailed us the flies and dust treated all alike but the prickly heat was more chivalrous and refrained from annoying a woman her usual luck the menfolk said utilizing veranda posts or tree trunks for scratching posts when not otherwise engaged daily things and the elements hummed and as they hummed dan and jack came and went like will-o'-the-wisps sometimes from the southeast and sometimes from the northeast and as they came and went the maluka kept his hand on the helm happy dick filled in odd times as he alone knew how a belated traveller or two passing out came in and went on or remained brown of the bulls sent on a drover ahead of the mob to spy out the land and the second letter left the rack while all who came in or went on or remained during their stay at the homestead stood about the post and uprights waving off flies and rubbing and wriggling against the post like so many uriah heaps as they laid plans gossiped gave in reports or swapped yarns the territory is hardly an earthly paradise just before the showers still cheon did all he could to make things pleasanter regaling all day on hot beer and all who came in were sure of a welcome from him dan invariably inspiring him with that ever fresh little joke of his when announcing his afternoon tea to the quarters cognac he would call and also invariably dan made a great show of expectant haste and a corresponding show of disappointment when the teapot only was forthcoming but cheon's little joke and the afternoon tea were the only interludes in the heat and thirst and dust daily things hummed faster and faster and the southeast trade skirmished and fought with the northwest monsoon until the willy willies towering higher and higher spread across the plain incessantly and whirled and spun and danced like storm witches in and out and about the homestead enclosure leaving its acres all dust and only dust with the house lightly festooned in creepers now and set in its deep green luxuriant garden of melons as a pleasant oasis in a desert of glare and dust daily and hourly men waved and perspired and rubbed against scratching posts and daily and hourly the willy-willies whirled and spun and danced and daily and hourly as they threatened to dance and spin and whirl through the house the homestead sped across the enclosure to slam doors and windows in their faces thus saving our belongings from their whirling dusty ravages and when nimbler feet were absent it was no uncommon sight to see cheon perspiring and dishevelled speeding toward the house like a huge humming top with speeding willy-willies speeding after him each bent on reaching the goal before the other Oftentimes Cheon outraced the willy-willies, and a very chuckling triumphant Cheon slammed two doors and windows, 
but at other times the willy willies outraced Cheon, and having soundly buffeted him with dust and debris, sped on triumphant in their turn, and then a very wrathful, sputtering, dusty Cheon sped after them. Also, after a buffeting, Cheon was generally persuaded an evil spirit dwelt within certain willy willies. But there is even a limit to keeping things humming during a territory November, and things coming to a climax in a succession of dry thunderstorms, two cows died in the yards from exhaustion, and Dan was obliged to chuck it. Not too bad, though, he said, reviewing the year's work, after fixing up a sleeping camp for the wet. The camp consisted of a tent fly, extended veranda-like, behind the quarters, open on three sides to the air, and furnished completely with a movable four-legged wooden bunk, and surveying it with satisfaction, as the willy-willies danced about it, Dan reckoned it looked pretty comfortable. No fear of catching cold, anyway, he said, and meant it, having got down to the root of hygiene, for among Dan's pet theories was the theory that houses are fine things to catch cold in, backing up the theory by adding, never slept in one yet without getting a cold. The camp fixed up, Dan found himself among the unemployed, and finding the Maluka had returned to station books and the building of that garden fence, and that Jack had begun anew his horse-breaking with a small mob of colts, he envied them their occupation. "'Doing nothing's the hardest job I ever struck,' he growled, shifting impatiently from shade to shade, and dratting the flies in dust, and even sank so low as to envy the missus her house. "'Gives her something to do, cleaning up after willy-willies,' he growled further, and in desperation took to outracing willy-willies, so the missus'll have a bit of time for pitchin' and was drawn to the wood-heap gossip until jack provided a little incidental entertainment in the handling of a kicker but jack and the missus had found occupation of greater interest than horse-breaking gossiping or spring-cleaning an occupation that was also affording dan a certain amount of entertainment for jack was wrestling with book-learning which dan gave us to understand was a very different thing from education still takes a bit of time to get the whole mob properly broken in he said giving jack a preliminary caution then the first lesson over he became interested in the methods of handling the mob that's the trick is it you just put the yearlings through the yard and then tackle the two-year-olds he commented finding that after a run through the alphabet we had settled down to the first pages of bet bet's discarded primer jack having roped all the two-year-olds in that first lesson spent all evening handling them and the quarters looked on as he tested their tempers for although most proved willing yet a few were tricky or obstinate all evening he sat poring over the tiny primer amid a buzzing swarm of mosquitoes with the doggedness all gone from his face and in its place the light of a fair fight and, to no one's surprise, in the morning we heard that all the two-year-olds came at his call. Another lesson at the midday spell roped most of the three-year-olds, and another evening brought them under the quiet stockman's will, and then in a few more days the four-year-olds and upwards had been dealt with, and the primer was exhausted. Got through with the first draft, anyway, Dan commented, and, no second book being at our service, we settled down to Kipling's just-so stories. Then the billabong petering out altogether, and the soakage threatening to follow suit, its yield was kept strictly for personal needs, and Dan and the Maluka gave their attention to the elements. Something's got to happen soon, they declared, as we gasped in the stifling calm that had now settled down upon the territory, for gradually the skirmishings had ceased, and the two great giants of the territory element met in the center of the arena for their last desperate struggle knee to knee they were standing marvelously well matched this year each striving his utmost and yet neither giving nor taking an inch and as they strove their satellites watched breathlessly even the willy willies had lain down to watch the silent struggle and dan finding himself left entirely without occupation feared he would be taking to book learning soon if something didn't happen never knew the shower so late he growled and the homestead was inclined to agree that it was the dead finish but remembering that even then our fizzer was battling through the last stage of the dry we were silent and dan remembering also devoted himself to the missus she being also a person of leisure now the willy willies were at rest 
For hours we pitched near the restful green of the melon beds, and as we pitched the Maluka ran fencing wires through two sides of the garden fence, while Tittlums and Bet-Bet, hovering about him, adapted themselves to the new order of things, finding the line the goats had to stop at no longer imaginary. And as the fence grew, Dan lent a hand here and there, the rejected and the staff indulged in glorious washing days among the lilies of the reach, Cheon haunted the vegetable patch like a disconsolate ghost, while Billy Muck, the rainmaker, hovered bat-like over his melons, lending a hand also with the fence when called upon as cheon mourned his garden also mourned but when the melons began to mourn at the maluka suggestion billy visited the reach with two buckets and his usual following of dogs and after a two-mile walk gave the melons a drink next day billy muck pressed old jimmy into service and the reach being visited twice the melons received eight buckets of water then cheon tried every while he knew to secure four buckets for his garden only four he pleaded lavish in his bribes but billy and jimmy had knocked up long a carry water and Cheon watched them settle down to smoke on the verge of tears. Then a traveller coming in with the news that heavy rain had fallen in Darwin, news gleaned from the gossiping wire, Cheon was filled with jealous fury at the good fortune of Darwin, and taunted Billy with rain-making taunts. If he were a rainmaker, he taunted, he would make a little when he wanted it, instead of walking miles with buckets. And the taunts rankling in Billy's royal soul, he retired to the camp to see about it. Hope he does the trick, the traveller said, busy unpacking his team. Could do with a good bath fairly soon. But Dan cautioned him to have a care, settling down in the shade to watch proceedings. These early showers are a bit tricky, he explained. Can't tell how long they'll last. Heard of a chap once who reckoned it was good enough for a bath, but by the time he got himself nicely soaked, the shower was traveling on ten miles a minute, and there was another drop of rain for a fortnight, which wasn't too pleasant for the prickly heat. The homestead rubbed its back in sympathy against the nearest upright, and Dan added that of course the soap kept the mosquitoes dodged a bit, which was something to be thankful for there generally is something to be thankful for if you only reckon it out he assured all but the traveller reduced to a sweltering prickliness by his exertions wasn't noticing much at present as he rubbed his back in his misery against the saddle of the horse he was unpacking then the horse shifting its position trod on his foot and as he hopped around nursing his stinging toes dan found an illustration for his arguments some chaps he said would be thankful to have toes to be trod on and ducking to avoid a coming missile he added cheerfully but there's even advantage about having wooden legs at times heard once of a chap that reckoned em just the thing trode on a death adder unexpected like in his camp and when the death adder whizzed round to strike it just struck wood and the chap enjoyed his supper as usual that night that chap had a wooden leg he added unnecessarily explicit and then his argument being nicely rounded off he lent a hand with the pack bags the traveller filled in dan's evening and neves's mate coming through the next day gave the quarters a fresh start and then just before that sundown we felt the first breath of victory from the monsoon just a few cool gusty puffs of wind that was all and we ran out to enjoy them only to scurry back into shelter for our first shower was with us in pelting fury it rushed upon us out of the northwest and rushing upon us swept over us and away from us to the southeast leaping from horizon to horizon in the triumph of victory as a matter of course, it left a sweltering awfulness behind it, but it was a promise of better things, and even as Dan was inquiring with a chuckle whether that chap in the quarters had got a bath out of it, a second pelting fury rushed over us, filling Cheon's heart with joy, and Billy with importance. Unfortunately, it did not fill the water butts with water, but already the garden was holding up its head, and Billy was claiming that he had scored a win. "'Well,' he said, waylaying Cheon in the garden, "'well, me rainmaker, eh?' and Cheon's superstitious heart bowed before such evidence. A ten minutes deluge half an hour later licked up every grain of dust, filled the water butts to overflowing, brought the insect pest to life as by magic, left a shallow pool in the heart of the billabong, and added considerably to Billy's importance. 
had not brown of the bulls come in during that ten minutes deluge cheon would probably have fallen to offering sacrifices to billy as it was he could only load him with plum cake before turning his attention to the welcoming of brown of the bulls what was the boss's drover's fancy in the way of cooking he inquired of the missus bent on his usual form of welcome and the boss drover a great burly queenslander with a voice as burly as his frame answered for himself with a laughing vegetables and as many as you think i've room for then cheon gravely measured his inches with his eye a burly chuckle shook the boss drover's great frame as he repeated just as many as you think i can hold adding in half apology been away from women and vegetables for fifteen months that's nothing we told him quoting the man from bayanst but hopeful to find the woman placed first then acting on hint from cheon we took him to the banana clump during the evening another five minutes deluge gladdened our hearts as the lavender bugs and other sweet pests of the territory insect pest saddened our bodies soon after breakfast time happy dick was across to see how you fared he said and then to the diversion of brown of the bulls cheon and happy dick rejoiced together over brimming water butts and mourned because the billabong had not done better regretting the while that the showers were so patchy then while happy dick was assuring us that both warlocks were bankers the sanguine scott rode in through the slip rails at the north track waving his hat in greeting with birdie and birdie's nelly tagging along behind him back again mac called light-hearted as a schoolboy just escaped from drudgery while birdie's nelly as a matter of course was overcome with ecstatic giggles with mac in the showers with us we felt there was little left to wish for and told brown of the bulls that he might now prepare to enjoy himself and with a chuckle of anticipation brown hoped the entertainment would prove up to samples already met with as he could do with a little enjoyment for a change End of chapter twenty one